Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Hi, welcome to this week's episode. Uh, this week, I'm joined by Dr. Anthony Bean, who um, is a clinician and is also the recent author of a book uh, called Working with Video Gamers and Games in Therapy. Uh, so first of all, I wanted to send a bit of a shout out to um, Anthony Bean to say thank you very much for holding my lack of emotional regulation during the interview. Um, in terms of where, I'm, where I was coming from, I am a clinician and this is uh, the best book out on the market at the moment in terms of working with children in therapy and adults um, who may be using games. And one of the things that we do in this podcast is we kind of really look at his, his book and uh, the contents of it, which, you know, um, it's that good. I sat in one afternoon and devoured the, the whole lot. Um, and it's, it, it's kind of, we take you through the journey about what games are, um, what, what games aren't, why the recent uh, diagnosis criteria, which still isn't decided around gaming addiction, um, really isn't a thing that we ought to be taking seriously at this point in time because the research is just, it's, it's really sparse. Um, and one of the things we actually did was have a, a little bit of a conversation about um, kind of why, why as clinicians, and I, I will be posting this uh, podcast on some uh, therapy websites because um, Anthony's correct. We, we do need to challenge this as clinicians and uh, here in the UK, I seem to be, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty alone and isolated in, in kind of shouting about this, that it really, really isn't a diagnosis that we should be taking quite as easily as it's being dished out in terms of the evidence. So this is, this is to say that actually, if you listen to the conversation that uh, Anthony and I have in this um, podcast, but also go and read his book, go and read the research, because what you will find is that this is fairly similar to children playing with their friends. Um, and and this, is not, this is not to be sniffed at, that this is not about um, children who have excessive gaming times, because it's, it's this kind of terminology that I really wanted to address. Um, Unfortunately, what did happen was uh, Anthony and I had a conversation beforehand and basically my uh, uh, regulation went off the charts um, because I was just so pleased to be talking to another uh, clinician with the same kind of views. So as always, um, there, there, are, uh, there is a little bit of a fault with uh, Anthony's sound. I don't know what happened. Um, it sounded absolutely okay to me at this side, but it would seem that during the recording, um, Anthony's microphone seems to go quite quiet. Um, no idea why that is, um, but if you really want to help me produce better, um, better sounding podcasts, head over to patreon.com forward slash cyber synapse, sign up to be one of my subscribers. And what this will allow me to do is bring a, um, I don't know, a student who's doing some sort of games design, somebody who's doing media, something like that. And they can come along and they can, you know, that take the time to edit the podcast. Um, I'm, I'm far too busy. What I am doing is I'm bringing you the content. And for now, that's as good as I can make it. Um, uh, I suppose I could go off and spend time editing, um, but then I would be letting clients down and so on and so forth. So I'm opting to bring you the best quality that I can do at this stage. 
Um, and obviously, if I can get a, a, a student in, that would be much, much better. Um, enjoy the episode. Uh, I think what Anthony has to say is really, really valid. Um, yes, I talk a lot. Um, and that's basically because I was, um, as I've said, really excited. Um, enjoy the episode. See you next week. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Anthony Bean. Um, Dr. Anthony Bean is an author of a book called... In fact, it would be easier just to show it for those, those that are watching. Okay, so it's Video Gamers and Games in Therapy. Um, this is a book that I am slightly raving about to people at the moment, and um, I've passed it out to two people so far. And I'm going to say as a clinician and parent, I found the book absolutely fascinating. So welcome to the podcast, Anthony. And uh, yeah, let's get started with... Um, the fact that we've just been chatting probably for longer than the podcast's actually going to last. Um, so let's, I don't know. Yeah. What, <laughs> what prompted you to write, write this book? Well, one of the, the big things that we find out as clinicians, and I'm sure that you're familiar with it as well, is a lot of the older clinicians and the new and upcoming ones don't have a really good grasp on video games, using them therapeutically and and really understanding them in all through my supervision and everything through the past 10, five to 10 years or so. I, uh, every, every supervisor has been like, I don't understand this. I just think it's a, an addiction. I just think that they're having problems and they don't have an idea or understanding of the gamer, one gamer culture to the games and three, how to use them in a therapeutic context. And I think that's really where a lot of the problems are coming in. And so that's where it kind of spurred me to, let's create a guidebook for clinicians to really use and explore these other areas to hone in their skills, kind of treat it almost like a CEU and have the ability to use it therapeutically from a non-addiction lens. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that struck me in terms of um, working with children is quite often child therapists do do this, but they don't know that they're doing it in, in terms of if they're playing in the sun tray so that mm-hmm. they playing and telling a story and so on and pretty much uh the the book that you've written um i don't even know which which chapter to start with but i am going to talk about um you do have quite a jungian flavor to it don't you in terms Mm -hmm. of um, characters and archetypes and the hero's journey absolutely they're they're all super super important when we when we do something because as as we play and there's even the chapter just on the importance of play um When we're kids, that's how we learn skills, it's how we learn rules, it's how we learn to interact with other people. And incorporating those, those aspects into a therapeutic context allows us to continue on with that play. Video games are no different than playing um, in other areas. It's just a, a different way of playing. But it still has all the same elements, it still has everything else it needs, and therefore it should be treated as, as a form of play and really honed in on those aspects. And the union aspect really allows us to, uh, instead of uh, giving it more direct or non-direct play, to phenomenologically understand where the person's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that I think, oh, I can't remember what episode it was. It's about four or five ago. I did um, literally a check-in because uh, the person who was supposed to be on couldn't attend that week. So I just talked about the fact that I've been to see Jim Quick and talked about play. Because um, one of the phrases he used is the um, the reason we grow old is because we stop playing, and I added on actually we forget to play as well. Mm-hmm. So that there is um, a, a huge part of this book that I was just like, oh my god, it was like, um, funnily enough to use the Jungian term, it was like synchronicity. I was like, this is what I've been telling everybody about. This is what mm-hmm. I've been 
banging on about thinking that I am going slightly mad because nobody's listening. (laughs) Well, it feels like that at times. It really does. Sometimes it can be a little bit like that with this podcast that I make a fantastic episode. Um, So I did one with um, somebody called Tassos out in Greece. We talked about philosophy, Greek mythology, all Mm -hmm. wrapped up into um, kind of a cyber based issue about cybersecurity. And I was like, well, that should have been like a viral podcast. Yeah, it never happened, but maybe it will. Um, So hopefully this one will be because there's something about what you've actually managed to put into this book, um, which is different to us. Like I was saying earlier, it's different to what I'm going to be writing. But actually, this is how people can use the stories of what children are doing, but actually get into the parenting Mm -hmm. as well. So that there's Absolutely. something here, although it says clinician's guide, I think there's something here really important about parents as well. Yeah, within, one of the big things is with any, any publisher, and you, as you as a publisher, as a published author as well, you know, is they always try to hone in on where can we use this book and keep it at a certain level of language. And that was always the f- main fight that we have uh, with our publishers, it's because they they try to change it on us. Um, and even the the next one that comes out, the Psychology of Legend of Zelda, comes out in February. That one, oh my god, that's just a constant fight with them trying to change it to to dumb down the language. Which, when we dumb it down, we lose lose essence of it. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of what we're always trying to do. And so that was the the whole point of the, the book is to make it accessible for clinicians to read it, not get messed up in the jargon. Um, and then also utilize it for for parents if they can if as long as they can understand the the concepts decently or have the conversation about the concepts more absolutely I think that's probably why mine's heading towards eighty to a hundred thousand words at the moment because actually what I have done is um I, and I'm not going to say dumbed it down I've used um layman's yeah. terms for parents i've made mm-hmm. I've made the biology and the uh the attachment stuff really easy to understand in the hope that parents can approach things differently because I think what is happening at the moment is the topic we're going to get back to uh, you know this is where the labels are being used isn't it so parents mm-hmm. are using words like addicted uh, and attached and actually they're not the clinical versions but they are using addicted and lo and behold we've now got the recent not quite qualified not quite ready to go out there but definitely a thing that people are already being diagnosed with um, the gaming addictions and mm-hmm. orders and all the other things and I'm going to really really refrain myself from ranting <laughs> <laughs> well we, we, we could just rant for four hours on that one just because I am exactly yeah the of the people and I actually went and just out of curiosity spent about four hours researching the entire board of who made this diagnosis and all of them are researchers none of them are clinicians um, and that's mm. a major major issue is and they in, in our field that we have this, this major problem of a uh, disparity between uh, research and uh, clinic, clinical a- applicability. Yeah. Um, and this gaming disorder is a, is a prime example of it because it's all just based on the, on some research and they don't take the entire research. They like really hone in on about 15% of it. Um, and they don't look at it from a clinical aspect, not, nor do any of them actually work in a clinical aspect. They are researchers, and that's a major problem that we have to change as yeah. in psychology is to get the clinicians involved as well. Uh, well, actually, that's the title that I use. I'll say to people, I'm a clinical researcher, mm-hmm. and they say, what does that mean? I say, well, it's a, I'm an academic, but I'm also a researcher, and yes, I'm bringing that qualitative stuff out to the masses, and, you know, and... and 
I suppose that's the other side of it, isn't it? Is is the qualitative stuff is actually where most of the information sits because it is so rich, it's so detailed, mm-hmm. and it's the re- I want to use the phrase it is the corporeal, it's the real world, it is the stuff. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, mm, so how how do we as clinicians, apart from the fact I keep begging people to to take up research, and I keep saying to clinicians, you know, you really do need to do research because I think the quantitative stuff really does hold the market. Um, and 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 in terms of how we get, yeah, how we get our stuff equalised, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. So. This is, I mean, this, this book is the beginning of saying, actually, here's some case studies. And um, so you actually do have case studies in the book. And it's quite yes. nice to see how, how you used some of the stories uh, with, the, with the child and then kind of use that to help them deal with a real life problem. Mm-hmm. So you might want to, uh, maybe we could talk about that. Sure, absolutely. And uh, the Greg one actually in there, um, where we use actually Borderlands, which is an M-rated game. Just so you know, 10-year-old, we did have a, them use an M-rated game because we had... Um, a lot of parent parental involvement in that one. And so they were able to monitor that and um, really work with him to help him understand it outside of the therapy realm as well. And so that one's actually getting flushed out even further. And it's going to be in another, another book. I think that's either coming out late this year or early next year. Um, so that one's going to be fun to be flushed out further. Now the, the other case studies and everything in there is it's just using the games that are available. Now there are lots of people out there that create apps and video games that are considered to be therapeutic in context. And, and while those are really, really good and they're useful, it really only gives you one part of the spectrum. So let's say someone who creates a game um, that's aimed at CBT, uh, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, um, items of depression. So they're only focusing on that aspect of it, of depression. Therefore, that's only the, what this game can be used for. There's not really much growth, much you know, being able to pull other aspects into it. It's kind of like a, a personality test, like the MMPI or the PAI. Those measure personality, but it doesn't measure the entire spectrum of personality. So yeah. that's always something we have to take into consideration. We're only getting maybe 5% off of those tests of the different aspects of personality. The same thing happens with these, these games that are being created. While they do have a use and they're good, um, the, the versatility is, is very minimal versus if you use a AAA game or even Gary's Mod or something like that where it's more sandboxy and the person can create and deliver their own interpretation of the world, then you can really um, watch and use a storyline. You can use character um, creation. You can use certain actions in there. I mean, the, the, it's more limitless because mm-hmm. of the game. Mm-hmm. And so that's really why I focus in on not necessarily a creation of a game, but more of uh, what does the game do for you? Yeah. Cause I mean, we're not, we're not really thinking about, I don't know, Donkey Kong and Pac-Man kind of levels of mm-hmm. games anymore. Those, those are, I mean, they are a variant of computer games. Actually, that is the difficulty, isn't it? Is labeling the, and, and kind of putting them into that division. And I think that was, um, I think you covered that very well, actually, in terms of what, what do we class a game as, whether it's action or, M- you know, and, and how many letters can we actually add on to the MMO? <laughs> Let's do an MMORTS uh, and <laughs> just keep on putting it on, on, on out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, so. but, we're, but with like the, the genres and everything like that, we're actually starting to see a, um, 
I would say, uh, what we call kind of like a coalescing of, of the main areas. Um, whereas like when video games really boomed down in the early 2000s, um, the, the main genres, like the one that we put into, I put into the book, those, those ones aren't going anywhere, but the other ones are continuously being created and they're becoming, they're really becoming what we call like subgenres of the main genre, which is mm. really, really interesting because they, they take aspects. It's like Fortnite. Fortnite's a really a mix of Halo type style of combat and Minecraft. Um, and if you look at it from that aspect, you're like, oh, well, those are two really huge successful games. Yeah, they're being used appropriately and it's free. And it's, it's one of the major things where they, they can use the, the game. But if you understand the, the breakdown of the game, where that comes from, from um, understanding where other games are, are were big and are still are big, then it really kind of opens up the world to have a conversation about it. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if I said it with Andy last week, Um, in terms of uh, some of the games, like uh, RuneScape, uh, which is still Mm -hmm. going, um, you know, and when when you think about, or when I think about my children growing up, RuneScape was 1998, I think it was, when it came out, something like that. Mm -hmm. Guild Wars, still going strong. Um, yeah, yeah. And actually, there is this whole community because it's not just playing a game, is it? You've got the social aspect, you've got what mm-hmm. you're all doing together. And Andy was saying last week about Fortnite that his, his children are learning this whole new language. Um, and as I, as I said then, watching my children playing these action games or, or um, for example, Halo, and they'd be shouting at their friends down the microphone, here. And their friends knew where they were. And I was just like, mm-hmm. never mind about this whole new language. There's, there's just this whole new processing going on. And I don't think um, us as adults, we were given this opportunity for our brains to work in that particular way. So I am really, really excited about what is going to happen in the next 20 years in terms of these children who can think in these different ways. Absolutely. Um, but I, I, it's definitely a, like a visual spatial um, what we do on the waste area is that uh, when we get gamers and we t- psych test them, uh, their, their IQs are, are you, certain aspects of their IQs are really, really off the charts yeah. um, versus other ones are, you know, their working memory is, isn't bad, but it's not like their highest one. Processing speed is usually ridiculous and um, visual spatial and their verbal is a little bit lower than their visual spatial. But that's just because of the, I think, of what the games can kind of give, and they're they're training um, us in a way to to work on and, and learn in that those aspects. Yeah, I think what did I, I was telling Andy actually how many bits per second the brain can process, and I, I think it's a lot faster now. But for mm-hmm. me, there's something about it's got to be the right hand side of the brain that's te- that's dealing with a lot of this. And actually, we've been a left brain culture for a long, long time where it's, it's all been, very, and I mean, that's pretty much the education system, isn't it? It's very mm-hmm. left brain, do everything by rote learning. And, and actually, here we are. Uh, I, I suppose, yeah, what I'm saying here is, apart from the fact that my head's now going 20 to the dozen, um, I'm seeing bigger, bigger picture, Moore's Law's happening. You know, what we are going to design in the next 10, 15 years, I am mm-hmm. so excited about. Um, oh, I am as well. And it's, uh, on, on one hand, I mean, as I say to a lot of my friends, I go, yay! Oh, as soon as something comes <laughs> out, because my head goes really excited about, oh my God, look at this, it's amazing. Uh, I think the new when it, Gears of War 4, when that was being advertised, I got really up, and then I went, oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, it's really quite graphic, actually. Oh, and it, it was like this mm-hmm. crescendo, followed by the fact that that's what I'm now going to see in therapy. It's well, almost uh, like... It's, it's, it's also like uh, inner space. There's a game that, uh, that's coming... 
has been coming out, I'll, I'll warn you, forever. And uh, it's called Inner Space. And it's mm-hmm. literally just like a flying, you sound like you know this one. And that the music is just like super immersive and everything. And it can just be used as a relaxation game. I just want them to put it out. They promised it four years ago at this point, And we're just still, and I'm just like, guys, yeah. what happened to all the money you raised and everything? This is, this is your whole, whole thing. Yeah. And, and I see for us as clinicians, actually, that the, where we're heading VR wise, um, mm-hmm. in terms of what we're going to be able to do with, um, so I'm, I think I might be heading towards this flow thing at the moment, but there's something about the, the actual VR headsets and using them and what we can actually help people with in therapy. So I'm not, uh, what, I'm, what am I not saying? I'm not saying this is the avatar therapy where you go in and you almost second life sit opposite your therapist and have a chat. Mm-hmm. This is, this is somewhere where we'll be able to take people in places. So I know they use this with veterans. They use it with yes, people with Alzheimer's. Um, I think there's a place out in the United States somewhere, and I can't remember where it is. It's on one of my tabs. Um, and they're actually bringing out cognitive um, games where you would actually have a headset on, and you have to exercise in certain ways mm-hmm. to, to um, move through the games. And I'm sat going, okay, and here you are writing a book for clinicians about the th- the simple side of games at the moment. Absolutely. It gets um, much more complex than what, what is in that book. Um, yeah. And, and as a, as a um, psychotherapist in the United Kingdom, I spend a lot of time going around and I'm talking to other psychotherapists and they're like, I didn't even know that existed. And I'm going, your therapy room is soon going to have technology in it that you cannot get away from. And if you don't have that technology, mm-hmm. the clients are not going to come to you because actually a child client is going to look for somebody who can deal with the child elements. Yeah. We like I have uh, the nonprofit that I run. We are expanding because we're just just slammed with lots of great stuff, and that's perfect because that's exactly where we want to be right now. Um, but one of the the big things overall um, is I bought an NES Classic and an SNES Classic, and we're gonna when we get our group room open, we're gonna put a projector screen in there, and I'm gonna hook those up, and I'm gonna be like frustration tolerance time, guys, go play yeah. Mario Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> On, on it and uh, have it as a group and watch them all see what they can do to, to problem solve. Yeah. Um, I was saying to, I can't even remember. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was when I was doing the HRV um, episode on cyber synapse that um, one of the games I've got is through HeartMath and it's all about heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. And when, when the children have learned how to use the game, you actually go on to play, I think it's called Tropical Beach or Tropical Heat, I think it is, and you're actually on a jet ski. And to do what you need to do, you need to be calm, centered, coherent, breathing correctly. And that's not what usually happens with games because you get quite hit up and, and uh, excited and frustrated and it helps them learn to be the opposite you know and as I said earlier and that would probably put these children on the spectrum of this gaming disorder <laughs> yeah and I think like even just speaking on gaming disorder one of the the big things that uh and problems we're going to run into as clinicians is that uh it doesn't differentiate between it as a primary characteristic or a secondary and out of the all the time that I've been doing this, which is now over five about five to ten years or now, is I still have not seen someone who is what would fit into that category of gaming disorder. Um, and it's mm. really sad to see this happen because I always we've always seen it as uh, this person's depressed or anxious or has Asperger's or is on the autism spectrum. 
Yeah. And there's yeah. very simple ways to figure this out. And people just don't understand how simple it is. Um, give an example with, uh, we have, I have one client who I've been working with now for a number of months and he has been diagnosed with autism. He's very, so black and white logic thinking and he perseverates on gaming. Now, if so from an outsider perspective who didn't understand the, the clinical aspects in other areas, not a clinician, he's going to look like he fits into that criteria. Gaming mm-hmm. is However, yeah. here's the, here's the, the easiest way to kind of figure that out is we're like, all right, we're going to reduce the gaming and he turned his perseveration onto something else. And then we reduced that and he turned it onto something else. And so it's really mm-hmm. about the perseverations, which means that it's, it's his the gaming disorder. is not his primary diagnosis or it wouldn't be if it was even a, a reality at this point. Yeah. Um, his primary diagnosis is autism and he's just perseverating. And that's the type of thing is what we, we don't actually have that, that knowledge. We can't differentiate between it as a coping skill. And if we're going to go for a, a pure reductionistic uh, standpoint, we're going to take away a coping skill instead of teaching them how to use it in a little bit more boundary uh, enforcing way. Yeah. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I do know is when you take things away from an autistic child, uh, they will become rather, um, uh, d- they tend to display how they're feeling very, very well. And, uh, you know, and then this is where parents will then add on anger issues as well. You know, <laughs> so I, I, I sometimes see children with about 12 different, um, <clears throat> I don't know, as I, as I say, it tends to be the DSM alphabet when they come through. Uh, it, and I'm just like, what is this? What, what's going on here? How did this start? How, how um, did you even get this? These diagnoses aren't even supposed to be diagnosed together. Um, yeah. But it, I mean, that's that's one of the things. Um, so in this country, obviously, we, we don't use the DSM to diagnose anybody, but it, it, because it be, of it being American. So yeah, we're going to have we've switched. I've switched our practice over to the ICD. Yeah, I was going to say we're on. We're technically under the ICD, but that's the one that I don't want to be under because that's the one where gaming disorders currently. I'd I'd like to stay with the DSM, which says uh, we need more research. And actually, that's what we were just saying earlier. This mm-hmm. is this is something that you know. This episode is only t- touching the periphery, I suppose, of what what actually goes lucky. on. If we're lucky, it's only ah uh, yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So where, where do we, where do we go with this, Anthony? What do, what do you think we need to do in terms of helping families, helping children, helping uh, researchers, <laughs> helping the board that come up with diagnoses? I think honestly, the, the best thing that we can, can do as clinicians is to educate the, the parents on it. But in order to educate, you have to be familiar with the culture. That's the main, main thing that's missing out of research right now. We have 80 different uh, internet gaming disorder uh, surveys that are out there. And all of them are terrible. They can't be replicated. They're useless. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're based off of basically what we call uh, um, a deductive or inductive reasoning um, standpoint, whereas they're, they're only circled at the top rather than knowing what's really the, uh, the ethos, the, the bottom line of of this uh, entire thing, which stands for the culture, which stands for understanding games, for understanding gamers and where they're coming from. Games can be superbly um, healing, um, helpful, and used as a narrative therapy. They can be used cognitive behaviorally. They can yeah. be used so many different ways. Um, and it only just takes the, the time to, to really flow into that interest uh, with the, the client in front of you uh, from the clinician. And that's really what we need um, a little bit more um, information on 
is because we, we don't have that ethos out there right now. The, the book that I wrote is it's a starting point, but it's, mm. it's not nowhere near where it needs to be uh, in order to be considered like the grand master of everything. It's, it's just a starting point, very surface level um, on kind of giving the, the basics uh, that anyone would need to then go and explore more. And so as from their the clinician standpoint, they really need to educate the parents. The parents need to educate themselves. Um, and we also need a lot of case studies that are out there showing the, the use of video games to, to be really helpful and to help being a healing uh, mechanism rather than a detrimental or the view of it being detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I had a thought just then about um, that. I, I suppose that's what Andy's doing. I'm doing, and it seems to be that there's there's more traction on this in the United States. I su I suspect, probably more in Australia because they tend to have quite a focus on the e-safety and kind of mm -hmm. um, the games. But it does feel a little bit at times uh, fear mongering, and and this is what we were saying about Twitter that there's a lot of media fear uh, fear mongering is a word I came out with last week by the way <laughs> with Andy mm -hmm. um it's like scaremongering but uh, I don't know probably worse um there's a lot of this there's a lot of this happening where um yeah so there was a, a Times article that and, and that's what prompted me to write my blog and the Times article came from a parent who was an app developer Mm -hmm. Okay, so straight away I was going, okay, how much time do you have to spend on a computer to be an app developer? What right. kind of script would that have provided for that family? And here was a woman saying she wanted the NHS to diagnose her child with internet gaming disorder at £350 an hour, um, which is a lot of money. And I know wow. that there, yeah, I know that there are clinics in this country being run with people, uh, by people, should I say, with um, PhDs who have worked with children and are saying that this is a thing. And I'm going, well, uh, hang on. Um, so I've, I've talked a little bit about um, Hikokimori, which is, um, uh, for, for those that don't know, and obviously the book's not out yet, um, that's where, is it Chinese young men? Was it the f It's usually the first male as well uh, in the family, tends to retreat into their room. And I looked at this and went, that's adolescent behavior. Mm -hmm. to, to retract away from parents at adolescence okay that that would be under my normative kind of behaviors of a young a young male they play on their games and don't really want to interact with the parents okay that sounds like normal adolescent and yet we've got this particular word that almost sounds like another version of gaming disorder um and i think i've described it as holding the house hostage so they demand that the parents bring the food up and so on actually that's quite cultural as well out in China that the males are looked after in this way. And I was kind of looking at this piece of research going, what is this? Is this yeah. the <laughs> lack of understanding the culture? And that's, that's really where um, a lot of researchers are, are getting caught up is they're, they're create, there's the creation of all these different things, yet there's a lack of understanding it, uh, the culture overall. And it's happening in, in research that's going on all around the world, not just in the US, not just in the UK, but it's everywhere. And you can very easily pinpoint it out when but not just by the choice of studies that they're using but the, uh, the aspects that they are they're talking about is that they just don't understand the culture and how can you be an expert on something if you don't understand the culture yes. as clinicians we pride ourselves on that form of communication of understanding or trying to get an understanding of the culture is how can we say like oh you're addicted or you're having all these problems or this is really bad for you 
when I don't even understand what's going on. When you're not willing to ask that question, tell me a little bit more about this game. What about it is enthralling for you? What yeah. about it really yep. grabs you? Why that character? Why did you choose this specialization over that one? Why did you go this route? Why didn't you do any of the side quests? Why did you just do the main storyline? Or why didn't you do the main storyline? Yeah. Could it, yeah. Could you talk a little bit about, because you go into that in your book, don't you, about um, uh, really about why, why somebody might choose to be a, um, uh, uh, let me go with something that people will know and understand. <laughs> they might choose to be a source of, yeah. Oh, actually, yes. <gasps> That's out on the VR as well. I am so going to buy that one. <laughs> Just, I don't know, it, uh, what, what did I get stuck with the other way? Batman Arkham Asylum, and it is mm -hmm. so difficult. I could not do it with the VR headset. And my friend was saying, I'd have given up by now, I'd have given up by now. And I was, <laughs> well, this is where our personalities differ, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> I, because I, want, I wanted it actually to be as simple as using an iPad, and it wasn't. It was quite, it was quite frustrating, actually. Mm -hmm. and, and I was going, okay, what am I supposed to do? And I thought, you watch, a 13-year-old would, obviously put the headset on and go you just do that cat and that and that but uh, yeah because i i'm hoping to bring the vr into my practice but mm -hmm. i have a funny feeling that you know we're going to go through lots of parents that are like but that's that's exactly what they're addicted to cat and that's exactly mm -hmm. what they're doing anyway back to do you want to go do you want to go with some of the characters and, and kind of why somebody might choose a journey story yeah so sky i mean skyrim's Beautiful. Anything uh, Bethesda, in my opinion, is is just great. Fallout series, uh, the Elder Scrolls series, they're just prime examples. Someone who will traverse the world um, as a cat and become a, a an assassin or a, a thief um, and then just become the head of the, the Assassin's Guild or the Thief's Guild or both um, and not play through the, the main storyline and then start activating all the dragons everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's, that's important to, to ask, like, why that character or the one that goes Nord in that one? Because they're living in that culture, in that, in that world, because that's where this whole, the whole region that this takes care of. That's, that's a question, is why that one? Is it because you wanted to fit in? Because if you act as a, an Argonian um, lizard, that you're going to be kind of spat on by the Nords because they don't like them very much. Mm -hmm. Why'd you choose magic over a bow and arrow? Or what's going on with this uh, choice versus this one? Why didn't you start the storyline? Why did you only do the side quests? Why did you just run around killing stuff for the sake of killing stuff? I mean, that's, or just traversing land and escaping. There's all sorts of different questions. And if, if we don't ask those questions, then how are we supposed to be experts in what's going on? Because yeah. We don't know these things. Um, and everyone gravitates towards different genres. My, myself, I'm an MMO slash RTS. That's, that's my thing. I love that those things. Forexes, RTSs, MMOs. Those are that's my game. Do you think? Um, I'm not sure how. Um, let me say, not game savvy. Game savvy might be a word, right? So um, I know we we went to MMORPG earlier, didn't we? Um, yeah, sometimes we I find myself using acronyms and then thinking about explaining them. Um, so so let's let's have a look what kind of games did you just mention sorry that was such a shit therapist thing to do i've forgotten what you said no, so you said okay. so so i said mmo which is massive multiplayer online game um the ones that i've always played has have always been guild wars and world of warcraft those are the big ones that i played now the rts is there's more starcraft um uh, what's it like uh, limitless limitless space or something like that's on my steam account that's one that i play 
um, Sins of a Solar Empire. It's a real-time strategy game where you have to do certain things in certain times, otherwise you get all steamrailed. There's, there's just certain games that uh, fall into these different categories that give different aspects. So when I play one of my kids who has an IQ of 144 in chess, and, and we're holding it pretty steady there and our game's lasting over the hour. I'm like, I got to take a picture of this board because we got to keep on going with this. Yeah. Um, and that's, that can be a very similar uh, thing to a uh, real time strategy game because chess really comes into that aspect. And so does it when you play Starcraft or Overwatch or something else along those lines. And those are just uh, a different type of strategy game, but they can be used. And let me tell you, those, those kids who know chess at the age of eight, they're pretty darn good at it. And yeah. Sometimes they can beat me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And, and there's something about triumph in the therapy room, isn't there, when that happens? I know um, one, one child that I was seeing um, had, a, had a diagnosis of Asperger's and, and came in and, and we, were, we were chatting away. And I said, what, what are you playing on? Your, or what have you got on your iPad then? And he said, oh, blah, blah, blah. Something about, um, what did he say he'd got? So there was a couple of games and he got through to um, Warhammer. And I said, oh, wow. I said, I've still got some uh, figures at home that I used to paint. And he said, you know what Warhammer is? I said, yes. And Blood Bowl. And such. And he just went, oh, my God. I said, I've got Space Marines and they're still in the loft. You know. The question should be like, do I know how to breathe? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm... I mean, I find I find that that's probably the most surprising thing that happens for me being a female with mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the clients is this is uh, not only not only am I kind of like a therapist doing the gamey things, but actually I know what the games are and I understand them. Mm-hmm. And the, there is something, uh, yeah, yeah, all right. As a teenager, I probably might have played Dungeons and Dragons and and Warhammer and stuff, and maybe scratch build a few models. <laughs> but the, there's something around. Yeah, just using these games in in therapy, using the questions, and and I think that's the that's the most beautiful part of this is mm-hmm. not only does this book say these are what the games are, there's also and this is why you need to ask the questions because do you know what they're all about a story and narrative, and as social creatures, that's what we do. That that well, that's exactly what we are. And in, in kind of speaking about the social social aspect of these whole things is we we really need to take into consideration that when kids are playing games or adolescents are playing games that these things are good for them they're not necessarily bad that they are there is a social aspect for it that's just not being uh, being used all the time we have to have that conversation about that yeah yeah um i don't know what time we started (laughs) <laughs> that might have helped. Like I'm just looking. This for hours. <laughs> um. Yeah, I was just looking. 25 minutes. I didn't actually write it down. Uh, normally, what I do is I put down the start time on the piece of paper, and I've just been looking. I don't have it. <laughs> so I know it's definitely been 20, 30 minutes because I do remember looking at the time beforehand. Um. Like I said to you, this is where this is where it all goes tits up. Uh-huh. In terms of keeping time. Uh. Yeah. So where. <laughs> Where have I got to? Where are we using therapy? Um, yeah, actually, I think what I'm going to ask, I suppose, is why do you think, and this this is uh, just kind of tapping into your uh, therapist head here, why do you think there's such a resistance from parents at the moment to understand this world where children are playing games? Do you think it's because it's technology? So 
for example, they might look at a computer and think it's really difficult to use or an Xbox, whereas a tablet seems a bit easy, a bit more adult friendly. Well, I mean, I, I think it could be a kind of like a, a lot of different things is when someone's being told like, hey, games are bad by a reputable, not just news source, by by other people and it's getting picked up and it's it's like with every research. If you see, you can very easily pick out what's bad research and what's good research. Um, and the, the easiest way is to one, look at the citations, two, look at their the methods, and then three, kind of look at overall what the, what are they trying to say? Is it really more pro media? Is it really more anti media? Or does it follow into that middle spectrum where all research should fall into? And when this research gets published, and then it gets picked up by uh, news channels or or news articles, and then they don't necessarily warp the headlines, but they, they make it more appealing, such as Fortnite fever. Oh, my God, what are our kids doing? That's, that's a very grasping headline, mm. and that's very alluding to, like, this is really problematic, rather than we should be having that conversation. Be like, look at what this research is going on. And so whenever a parent comes in, like, oh, my God, I read this, this news article about this study that was going, I'm like, what's the study? I'll just pull it up on my computer, and we'll go over it really quickly. I'm like, well, you know, it was a good study in this aspect, but it didn't come to the conclusions. And there's a lot of variables that aren't being taken into consideration or they're not, they're talked about in the beginning and then they're not talked about in the end. I said, and that's, that's a bad sign that those variables, if they're taken into consideration means that they don't have results. When we, um, look at research and everything, the only research that really gets a lot of, uh, press and, and out there and on media and stuff is the stuff that shows results not the 70% of things that don't show results because those ones are much harder to get published because it's not proving anything. And the whole idea of scientific mentality is is you're supposed to be proving something. And by not having that being proven, this is not really a a worthy thing to be published. And that's a problem. Yeah. There there is something to be said about um, uh, the the null effect, isn't there? Uh, I can't Mm -hmm. remember where I was reading that the other week. I don't know. I've I've got so many things on the go at the moment that I can't even tell you which things I'm reading uh, or where I've got something from. I'm just kind of synthesising at the moment. I think, um, yeah. That I mean, that's what happens with parents when they come through, it. and it's usually something off Facebook. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, my friend shared this on Facebook. In fact, it's happened today, and I've come off social media because my thumbs went up in the air. You know, like almost like and <laughs> don't. <laughs> Which, ah, oh, that reminds me, because that's another thing that happens, isn't it? Is, um, so when I was uh, teaching a couple of months ago, um, my, my piece of research, to, uh, the second one, talked about, um, I think it was a video called My iPad Doesn't Work or, or The Magazine Doesn't Work or something. And it was about a little girl that, that was doing this particular pincer movement on the um, magazine. And I thought, well, A, because she's three and doesn't understand the difference between mm-hmm. videos. It's and called overgeneralization. Uh, yeah, and it's a, B... It's a concept. Uh, that's a hunter-gatherer tribe m- uh, movement. So actually, it's probably quite innate. Uh, mm-hmm. to p- and that's one of the things that we test children, don't we? We say, okay, are they meeting their milestones? Are they pinching at small objects? Mm-hmm. Yes, they're also pinching at an iPad. Well, good for mm-hmm. them, because that's exactly how it was designed. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the same, it has the same concept of, uh, of a kid calling a... Uh, a cat, um, a dog, and because they see more dogs than cats, and they then mm. overgeneralize to all animals with four legs and fur are dogs yeah. and or cats, and vice versa. It doesn't matter which one. It's just a concept in, in our literature, and it's been proven time and time again. That's a natural stage for everyone to go through. So why yeah. wouldn't it be a natural stage for them to go through in a, 
in a magazine when they're reading something. Mm-hmm. It's an overgeneralization. Well, this is uh, pretty much... So this was, as I was saying to you, this is where I used to get into my social media battles. My toddler is addicted to the iPad or the internet. And I was like, oh, well, actually, maybe if you gave them a toy in substitute and then tried to take the toy off them, would you actually say they were addicted to the toy? Probably mm-hmm. not. But because it's technology, um, it, this, it's that, that word, isn't it? It's addicted. It's just sitting over everything at the mm-hmm. moment. And, and people, I, and people I, are using it in, in layman's terms these days too. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's just become... It's, it's lost its, its pungent feel to it of what it used to be 20, 30 years ago um, of a real concern. And now it's everyone's like, oh, man, I'm addicted to eating this type of bread. Oh, my God, I'm addicted to Powerade. Oh, my God, I'm addicted to mm-hmm. mowing lawns. Oh, I'm addicted to this book. I can't put it down. And you're just like, dude, you got to change that lingo. Yeah, well, that, that sits with the uh, dopamine hits. So um, I, <laughs> I recorded a lecture. So um, I went through and did some lectures. And, and one of them was um, on about addiction. Pretty much it matches my Facebook rants in terms of uh, this is a social thing. You can't be addicted to something, particularly if you're under the age of cognitive understanding to have the psychological as well as the physiological but anyway Mm -hmm. I kind of went on this big big run and and the words addicted are pretty much for me like the phrase depressed yeah when when somebody says I'm depressed and I go no you mean you're a bit sad yeah there's understanding the concept exploring that Um, just because someone that may be depressed doesn't mean it's bad and just being like oh really what's going on you know, most time people don't get that, uh, that asking. And this isn't because we don't know how to communicate. This is because most parents don't teach that. And so if we're going to go down that path of like, oh, my kid's not learning how to communicate because of this. I'm like, actually, that's not because of the game. That's because of the parental model that they've had mm-hmm. the last eight to 10 years. Yeah. And then we wonder why critical thinking skills are currently mm-hmm. at a... a All-time low. A, a, <laughs> yeah, because I, I was reading something, I think it might have been on Twitter, yeah, today, yesterday, something like that, where it's now being considered something that we need to look at is this critical thinking and fake news. And, and I was like, wow, what we're talking about here is parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, also, the I, I don't know if it's the same over in the UK, but the United States, we've, we've gone into... Um, uh, a, a t- certain amounts of testing that have to be passed in order to move on to the next grade every so often years, which mm. means that teachers are only teaching what they need to pass the test, not to think for themselves. Like, yeah. uh, and that's one thing that I, I discovered for, for myself is that um, uh, critical thinking uh, was never really taught in high school. Undergrad wasn't taught either. Master's level, I had to relearn how to critically think and the PhD, I perfected it. Yeah. And so it's not really until you get into the higher end where teacher, teachers or people are going to ask you like, well, what do you mean by that? Tell me a little bit more. Think about this differently. Don't just believe yeah. what you necessarily read in there, but take a, a, a doubtful perspective to it and, and try to think around it. Um, yeah, I, I was going to, I usually give away something that happens at my house on, on uh, all episodes because it, it's a way of giving an example. But we have um, in my house, we have quite heated debates because um, we question everybody's um, mm-hmm. uh, sources. So my son might go, oh, look, have you seen da, 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 da? And I go, where's that from? Facebook? Is that like a is that like a thing that you need to whatever, whatever? No. And then I'll go scrolling and I go, yeah, but I've just found something that's totally opposite. My other son will mm-hmm. come in and go, ah, but yeah absolutely 
and, and yeah. that's, that's, that's a problem if people are getting their main source of news uh, or research from, from one place. Like, I mean, even in the, the, the academic and, and IQ testing that we do is there's literally a question of why is it more important to get your, sort, your information from multiple sources? Because it corroborates it. Um, and you can't just yeah. take one person's headline and, and consider it to be truth. Yeah. Well, it's that word triangulation, isn't it? That's mm -hmm. what I usually say to people. If you've got three good sources, you know it's pretty much on the nose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if you've got contradictions, that's when you can sit and say, okay, so we don't have an answer for this yet. Uh, what did I say? Was it last week? No, it wasn't. It was with Jocelyn Brewer. Um, and I was talking about, um, so I quite like, um, I'm trained in transactional analysis, but I quite like the quantum psychology. Um, that It's not yes and no, it's the maybe. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. where, the rich information is. And I think that's phenomenology summed up in one sentence, isn't it really? Absolutely. I mean, you, you have to have an understanding of what's going on, the culture, where did it start? Why is it, how has it progressed? And that's all just creating a timeline. And that's, that's the whole idea behind phenomenology. Yeah. And that's something that's not being taken into consideration. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think that would be the, the way that we argue philosophically in our house is about phenomenology. And it's usually, well, who says that? Well, my son once said, yes, but is your red the same as mine? And I said, of course it isn't. Well, three and a half hours later, after we debated it, you know, and I was just like, that, that should have been an episode on, on some sort of TV program. And actually, that's, that's something that I do in therapy. That's probably what you do in therapy, because that's what we do. We challenge people's beliefs. Absolutely. That's our whole point. Whole point for mm. living. Whole point of doing it. Yeah. Okay. So, um... I'm just looking at the time. So we've done 35 minutes, maybe 40. Um, would you be up for coming back and doing a second one, mainly sure. on the subject of flow? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I'd like to do a little bit more myself on, on reading around it, but that obviously me being, a, um, as I keep going, hashtag or inverted commas, flow student. Um, <laughs> obviously, I want to get this uh, float tank thing done first, but I think, yeah. I would really, really like to explore flow a lot more. And you are the only psychotherapist therapist that I have come across that actually knows what I'm talking about and kind Absolutely. of might be in the same realm. Right. More than happy to. Right. Okay. That would be brilliant. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to say that we're going to finish now because we've probably done a lot longer than we said. And <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's the main theme of cyber sign up. I'm now going to have to change the introduction saying cyber sign ups sets out to do half an hour, does at least an hour. Um, so <laughs> I know that it's, it's um, lunchtime ish for you. So I'm going to let you shoot off and, and go and spend time with your family and I'm going to disappear off and do what I need to. So thank you ever so much for spending this time with me and staying in touch. Absolutely. Anytime you can need something. We're pretty right. friendly. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>